Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around If you've been listening to us for three years, that's starting to sound like a choice Sponsored by Froobs Don't need no pot, don't need no spoon Just squeeze it in my mouth Man, I love Froobs We all love Froobs uh, You're here for music episode, I don't know, about 20-something um, I'm 25 there, I'm here with music experts 25, is it right? Somebody's got to get it right I'm here with music expert Clive Fisher. Ahoy, hi. And music expert Michael Johnson. Hello there. And our other music expert, James Cable, is swanning off again. Um, I know he's been to see the National, music-related. Um, do you know where he is, Clive? Um, in my head, I've got Primavera. Is that in Barcelona? Because I think he's in Barcelona. If those two things match up, then I think mm, I've got no. it right. <laughs> But yeah, I could be wrong. Is it some? Is it some fancy festival of people like fancy people that go watch music and get a boutique festival? <laughs> a boutique. <laughs> they get intense and stuff, that... and you know. <clears throat> Sorry, Al. Al's uh, Al's very delayed today, so this might be interesting. <laughs> it does seem like Spain is the go-to place for hipster festivals. Have you noticed that? I don't know why. I've not actually no. This is the first time I had noticed it, because I was like, well, Cable's going there, he's the biggest hipster around, so this must be a hipster <laughs> orgy. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he's having, it sounds like he's having a good time. I've just, all I've been sent is one picture, which looked like a, you know, a stage in a field, so looks pretty standard. But, um, yeah, seems, I bet he's having a great time. I'm sure he'll tell us all about it when he gets back, and as long as he doesn't swan off again. Right, well, he better not. He better not. Um, okay, so let's get things kicked off with Michael Johnson ho- in Eagle's Cliff. Clive, give me an eagle now. Noise. Oh, that was an intense one. <laughs> What's he expect? Very. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd, you'd be interested to know that actually I've not seen any eagles, but there are a shit ton of some sort of baby birds around here that keep shitting all over mine and other properties in the surrounding area. Um, To be honest, we could do with an eagle to get rid of them. What I find find most amusing is I know for a fact how much anxiety that gives you. Yeah, I I just don't need it, you know what I mean? Yeah. just don't need it. Oh, dear. But yes, I'll, I'll kick on with some music instead. Go on then. Instead of bird ba- bird banter. <laughs> um, it's my favourite type of banter, to be fair. Always, yeah, always. Love me some bird banter. So it, feel, it feels like it's a while since we've done a, um, a music podcast, so I've heard quite a lot of new albums. I'm going to talk about six, um, mostly quite briefly, so I'm just going to divide them into two sets of three. <clears throat> and I think I'll go in um, reverse order of the album's uh, I've enjoyed all of these albums to some extent, so that, that's good. Uh, but I'll go from the ones that I'm uh, you know, least enamoured with and then build up. So I'll start with um, an album that uh, 
I didn't really know much about and that I just saw getting a lot of attention. I liked the cover, which is often a good, uh, as good a reason as any to jump into an album. Uh, so I checked out and that's uh, In A Poem Unlimited by US Girls, which is a musical project of uh, Megan Remy uh, from the US but based in Canada. This is a um, fairly short album, very concise, nine tracks proper with a couple of interludes. Uh, it's very poppy, but it's been tagged as sort of experimental pop. I'm not sure how experimental I'd consider it. It's quite um, derivative of various other artists. It's been compared to a lot of pure pop. Vocals are compared to uh, Kylie Minogue a lot, apparently, although I'm not really that familiar with Kylie, to be honest, so I can't draw the comparison myself. Um, but also uh, acts like LCD Sound System. Uh, very danceable material on here. A lot of uh, memorable bass. Some of it earlier on is a little bit jazzy as well, um, so it's quite interesting. Uh, lyrically, the album, uh, the tracks are mostly about um, female perspectives, um, female anger, that sort of thing. Feels like quite a uh, quite a topical uh, area to cover. And there's some good there's some good storytelling on the on the album across the tracks. I didn't think the album was quite as uh, I mean it's been getting quite a lot of attention as I said uh, a lot of praise. Didn't blow me away or anything. I thought it was uh, enjoyable. Like I said, I think some of the uh, the lyrics are one of its strongest selling points. The, uh, the it does contain a couple of I'd say definite song song of the year contenders for me. Uh, Rosebud and Pearly Gates. They'd be the two uh, outstanding tracks in my mind. So I'd, I'd say the album is worth a listen. I just didn't think it um, for me personally musically. Didn't seem quite as significant as, as I was hoping going in, but it's still very enjoyable. The last track's uh, quite a long track, actually. Goes, runs over seven minutes, which, again, is another comparison you could draw with LCD's sound system. Their tracks tend to be pretty long. That's also another, another standout, I would say. So, yeah, it's an interesting album, a short, sharp shock, um, but just the fact that it wasn't doing anything particularly original musically... That uh, was the only down, downside for me, but I still, I still thought it was a good one. I haven't listened to this, uh, uh, Al. Al? Michael. <laughs> Al Michaels. Um, <laughs> Michael, yeah, I've listened to this one. I thought when you started talking about it, I was like, this sounds familiar, this sounds familiar. Then I looked at my list of what I've reviewed, but it's been a while, so I'd sort of forgotten. Um, yeah, I've, right. the stuff I've written here pretty much agrees with what you've said. So, And I've also got Pearly Gates right. as my favourite song, so we seem to have similar opinions. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so there's obviously some consensus on that. I think it's one of the, the standout tracks. Uh, very catchy um, beat as well as uh, as vocally. I've mentioned as well, yeah, that the the lyrics are the main thing for me, and that I didn't. I seem to have put here that I didn't like the style of vocal. I found it a bit unengaging. Like I say, it's been so it's weird okay. because because it so with some albums it's that long ago that I don't really remember what they sound like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right, uh, yeah, so yeah. I can't actually not picture it in my head I can't actually listen to it in my head right now so I, I don't know that's what I've put so there's my thoughts from uh, about three months ago or whenever it came out uh, anyway Al oh for god's sake <laughs> you know it's, well, just, it's, because is, is me, that... it's because me and Al have been duoing this so much that I've just forgotten anyone else exists and it's just the me and Al show but um, yeah, Michael to guess who, would you who like to carry on <laughs> thank you it's our show it's our show, you're just a contributor. Uh, go for it. Yeah, I, I know my place in the pecking order, don't worry. Oh, it's another bird joke. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can we make as many bird puns as possible? That's the target today. Looks like that's the theme, doesn't it? Yeah. I like it. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I've listened, actually, um, I think I am quite familiar with this album, Sam, because I've listened to it quite a few times now. 
Um, so you know the amount of times I've revisited it, maybe maybe come year's end it might. We'll see where it stands in my uh, my sort of ranking. Um, but it is a good album. Next one I'll talk about is um, the new weekend. Well, it's been it's kind of been hyped as an album, but it's not an album. It's, uh, it's certainly an EP coming in. It's only six tracks, I would say. My dear melancholy by the weekend. The weekend is an artist who, although I don't think he's ever scaled the heights of his um, his debut material and uh, the triple album trilogy, which was a compilation of the three initial albums he released back in 2011. Um, I've still always been interested in him. Um, I always find his work engaging, even though, in a similar vein to the US Girls album, actually, I don't think it ever really reinvents the wheel. He is quite a singular artist, but other than going in a poppier and poppier direction, he doesn't really um, you know, reinvent his sound to that great an extent, I wouldn't say. Um, this this um, collection of songs is interesting because it basically goes back to the, the darker sound that he had when he first emerged. Very much goes back in that direction. Uh, some people have seen it as a as a sort of relapse. I think it's hard to weigh up because it's obviously um, an artistic statement that's coming between proper albums, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of bearing it has on his next album proper. But this is, uh, I mean, this is, it's, it, this is basically just more, more of the same, but but with more of a hark back to that original sound. The, the tracks are basically produced by uh, superstars. We've got um, Mike Will Made It, Frank Dukes, Skrillex, Gasafelstein, and also um, Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo of Daft Punk. So the sound is uh, highly electronic. I would say that the last track on the on the uh, on the EP, Privilege, is actually actually ranks as one of his best songs. Uh, it's a very moody, sort of atmospheric piece. Exactly the sort of um, weekend material that Justin Bieber tried to emulate on his Purpose album, his last album. Uh, so I think the weekend's definitely left his mark. Um, I don't think he's got a lot to to prove at this point. I hope that he can um, find some new veins to open up with his future music, but this one's very much a nostalgia trip, and I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that for just six tracks on an EP. But it doesn't exactly have anything new to say, but as a big fan of The Weeknd, I still find it enjoyable on, on certain levels. So that's that EP. And then uh, the last album I'll talk about at this point is um, the Black Panther soundtrack, which I've been listening to probably more than any other album, mm. actually. Little little surprise because it's got Kendrick Lamar's fingerprints all over it. He curates it. It appears at least briefly on the majority of the album's tracks and um, heavily on on a fair number of them as well. There's a you know, fairly stellar cast of guest appearances from the likes of The Weeknd, uh, Vince Staples, Travis Scott, various other artists. There was some criticism of it because people felt more African artists could have been included on it in keeping with the uh, the themes of the film. But there is still that sort of uh, sound and influence is, pre is present in the production of the album. Uh, in other areas, tracks are just uh, more straightforward hip-hop bangers, which uh, I would say mostly work very well. There's been some uh, some fairly big singles released from it, uh, certainly in the US anyway. All the Stars and also um, God's Dead, which um, is a future featuring track where Future's... Um, sorry, King's Dead future featuring track where his appearance on on that was uh, dissected quite heavily across social media. So there's certainly been a lot of buzz about the album just because I think it's tied to a film that's had so much critical attention as well. Um, I really like the film. The album, I think, has to be judged slightly apart from the film, even though that's difficult to do because I think 
thematically it does touch upon some of the same sort of themes, but not in a not, not in a sort of the heavy notable way that we've come to expect from Kendrick Lamar's solo albums, for example. Uh, but, but I've still been listening to this a lot, and I think it's uh, it's one that's going to be listened to throughout the year. So yeah, a, a good album and another um, if you want to include it as such a thing, a good uh, addition to the Kendrick Lamar catalogue as well. <clears throat> cool. I need to check that Excellent. one out. I like the film so. Yeah, yeah, that, like, like, like someone, it's, it's to hard well. to, yeah, okay, yeah, what did you make? <laughs> sorry, no, sorry, that was a massive delay, that, if the listener's listening to that, um, yeah, no, I was a fan. <laughs> no, we're just thinking uh, of rude twat, Al. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think that came in about three seconds later than it should have done, yeah, pretty much, um, pretty much agree, it was, um, I enjoyed it, I thought it was better in the context of the film than it was just listening to it. Um, as it is, but um, yeah, a, a worthy entry into the Kendrick back catalogue, if you will. Cool. Yeah, definitely. I need yeah. to listen to it. I so, so. Yeah, I think it's difficult to judge it because I don't, like I say, it's hard. I think with an album to delve into the same sort of. Obviously, hip hop would be the genre to do it probably. Uh, to delve into the same sort of um, to the same the same depth of uh, of themes that the film does. But um, I mean, I mean, it's not just hip hop. This there is a blend of R and B, reggae, and other styles on it. Uh, but it's it's still I still think it was a worthy album, just as a standalone. I liked it more than I think quite a lot of people did. Cool. Awesome. Um, right. So uh, we're now going to head up to, I'd say, down to Sheffield, where I believe Clive has a really, really massive, exciting review for us. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's building this up. Um, it might not, it's, it's the most notes I've ever had, so I might just breeze through it really quickly. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to talk about The Wonder Years' new release, Sister Cities. Um, this is the sixth studio album from the six-man pop-punk band from Pennsylvania, um, which came out earlier this year, I believe it was April. I've talked about my love for The Wonder Years and their lead singer, uh, Dan Soupy Campbell, before. He gets mentioned on pretty much every <laughs> podcast for usually irrelevant reasons um <laughs> i'm undoubtedly a bit biased when it comes to reviewing their albums as they've kind of meant a lot to me over the past few years since i've got into them really so bear that in mind as i make this review so the album came out about a week before i saw them live i guess you could call it a concept album essentially it's about the two years they spent touring the last album um, no closer to heaven which i believe was in my top five of the year it came out 2015 probably the first list episode might have even been my top one i really can't remember I remember I, I really, really liked it anyway, and I still listen to it a lot. It wasn't written on the roads as a lot on the roads, on the road, um, even though it was more than one road, actually, so that expression would make more sense, I suppose, um, by the sounds of it. But when um, Supi got back home, I've read an interview where he says um, he basically went through all his photos and journals and wrote the songs about what he thought were the most meaningful events after um, getting back home from the tour, so... It's not a sort of, oh, in between, um, you know, while rehearsing for sets and stuff, we also wrote songs situation by the sounds of it. This um, this sort of style leads lyrically to perhaps his most visual style. Um, for example, on Raining in Kyoto, the first track, which is about him missing his grandfather's death and funeral because of touring, a theme that he's um, t- uh, sung about before when it was, I believe, his friend's funeral that he'd missed and also his dad's and um, there's definitely he has quite a few songs about funerals and um, he says i saw a, a god of rice a fox with a key which is referring to a shrine to inari which is the god of rice in japan and is often this is often guarded by statues of kitsune i believe it's pronounced which is a fox that uh, usually has a key in his mouth and um, so it's obviously a very visual it's 
almost as if it's kind of littered with lyrics like this that have obviously been like born from a photograph. Another example that um, jumps out to me is when he talks about a bag of clementines burst open on an English road and talks about how the contrast makes him dizzy. To me, he's written those lines when he's, you know, he's got to certain pictures that he's like, oh yeah, he's just taken random pictures on his phone um, of stuff that stuck out to him and he's brought that back into his lyrics, which I think makes the, the whole thing really visual and is a little bit like um, how I write songs. So um, I thought that was quite interesting. Musically speaking, the album's a clear progression from the last album where the pop-punk rooks were, were still there, but they'd started to incorporate a lot of other genres such as emo and even a more folky sound in certain segments, at least melodically speaking, in the more sort of downbeat segments. Um, in this one, we've got the addition of a lot of new instruments and sounds such as, notably, there's a, a sort of droning sound on the closing track, The Ocean Grew Hands to Hold Me, which is reminiscent of Big Ships by Brian Eno, one of my very favourite songs. I don't know if anyone will have heard of it, but it's a fantastic song. And the first time I heard it, I was like, this is absolutely brilliant. And then I found out it was from the 70s and my mind was blown <laughs> because it does not it does not sound like it's from the 70s. It sounds like it would have been written yesterday. And bearing in mind it's an electronic track, that's pretty impressive. The dynamic nature of No Closer to Heaven, the last album, with its sort of shouted loud peaks and beautifully mumbled troughs, is even more exaggerated here and pulled off with a plum, I think, uh, making those huge powerful choruses, as in the song Pyramids of Salt, which I think is the second track, um, where Soupy screamed, screams, I drew a line in the sand with these goddamn worthless hands, I drew a line in the sand, you washed it away again. All the more impactful really knows how to build up to the chorus and then just make it really hit home. And that's one of the rare songs, actually, where there is quite a lot of choruses in it, because in this album, there isn't... There's less choruses. I mean, they're famous... <sighs> the Wondies are famous for having loads of really sort of big, powerful choruses that are catchy. Um, the Greatest Generation is perhaps their most famous album uh, because of the fact it's just littered with uh, bangers, really. <laughs> um, this is has less of them, not because any of them missed the mark, but simply because they've made less of those types of co uh, choruses. There's a clear intent of kind of building a really solid musical foundation first before embarking on any of the choruses they're so famous for, and, and it works. Um, I think this is probably their most impactful piece of work yet, and I think that's a big reason for it. Um, I think... I mean, what I often love about pop punk is it just doesn't fuck around, gets straight to the chorus, uh, <laughs> and it's powerful and it makes you feel good. And there's that great chorus writing is still here, but they've also layered some more foundations to give to give everything a bit more depth, and I think it really, really works. My only complaint with the album would be the mixing production, uh, which, again, is probably only going to bother me because I do mixing and production, which on a surface level is good, but there's just too much damn uh, like treble. At times, the cymbals feel like they're taken over a bit too much and it can lessen the impacts of some of the album's more climatic moments. Notably, on the last song, um, The Ocean Grew Hands to Hold Me, um, the very end, the drummer's going a bit mental with his cymbals, which is fine but uh, they're mixed way too high and it kind of like it, it kind of almost hurts my ears on certain headphones. I had to deliberately wear more bassy headphones to make it less sort of screeching in my ears, which <laughs> was annoying because it's like a really impactful moment of the song. So that was a bit of a shame, but again, it might only be me who notices it. Who knows? I've heard other people mention it, though, so I don't think it is. Um, the album finishes with a song called The Ocean Grew Hands to Hold Me, which I've mentioned about three times already, which is a genuine... Sh I think you, you should mention it three times, because that's a brilliant title. <laughs> yeah, which not only... Yeah, <laughs> it is a brilliant title. It's a genuine contender for the best song they've ever written, I think. It's a song that has 
that choruses are kind of entirely instrumental, a bit like, um, what was that phosphorescent song, Song for Zula, um, where it's kind of a verse and then an instrumental section and then a verse again, and the instrumental section almost takes the place of the chorus, like having the emotional impact, if you know what I mean. Uh, this is that type of song. And those instrumental sections just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the last one is just like everything's you know going at once and it's got this real powerful melody over the top. It's just absolutely brilliant i love it and when they finished their set with this uh, when when they played live a week after the album being released i was in tears at the final like crescendo bit which i was trying to think have i ever cried at a gig before and i don't think i have <laughs> so uh, it definitely hit home um i just remember i think i stood like dead center on the dance floor it would have made a good uh, cinema shot probably i just like closed my eyes and i was like tears streaming down my face and yeah it was a beautiful beautiful moment that i'll probably never forget and granted i was kind of going through some stuff at the time but like I say, that's never happened to me, and I think that's testament for how kind of how much the band means to me and kind of speaks to me personally. It was almost a shame. I kind of wish that they just finished it there, and but they came out and did an encore, um, which is great. You get more Wonder Years, but also I kind of felt like that was the the perfect ending for the set because of it being the ending of the album and just you know the I don't know the, the final bit of the song is so perfect to finish an album that it's almost a shame that. <laughs> They came and did something after it. But that's, I suppose, looking at live performances like albums, which maybe I shouldn't do. But um, the the last line before the climax is, um, I miss everyone at once, but most of all, I miss the ocean, um, which is particularly impactful for me. I think the song is, uh, Soupy's spoken about it. He says, he, he says the whole album is essentially about how the world's become smaller because of um, communication. And even though you might be miles away, you're still you know able to communicate with people. Uh, this this being a good example, um, people that are actually quite far away. But it's also the idea of, I think, that the ocean kind of resembles humanity and he's definitely someone a bit like me who loses kind of hope in humanity a lot of the time. But I think it's a... Now I'm going to sound stupid here because this could be completely wrong. I believe there's a Gandhi quote with something along the lines of um, that it's humanity's, you know, like an ocean in that when there is a bit of it that's uh, dirty, the whole, the entire ocean is not dirty. Um, and he it's way more beautiful than that, because <laughs> Gandhi said it, not Clive Fisher. But um, it's, yeah, I think that's kind of... great man. I think it links in a little oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it links in a little bit with that quote and his... Um, so I think he's, the ocean to him is humanity and the, you know, the ocean grew hands to hold me, humanity grew hands to hold, hold him. And like you say, Michael, I think it is, when I first heard, read down the track list before I'd heard the album, I was just like, I cannot wait to hear that song because that title is beautiful. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, for sure. and it didn't let me down. So yeah, I'll stop rambling now, but I think it's a really, really great album. I think if I was going to be picky, I'd say it could have dropped um, maybe Orange Grove, which is the track just before either two before the last one or the penultimate one, I can't quite remember. Um, And obviously it could do with some of the production improving. But having said that, I know some people who absolutely love Orange Grove. So, you know, if it had been missed off, then those people wouldn't have one of their favourite songs. So, you know, sometimes stuff isn't written just for you, amazingly. But um, overall, it's a wonderful piece of music and I'm so glad that this band exists. And I think it's up there with their best, which... For me, my favourite two albums of theirs are the last one and this one. Um, and they're both quite similar in style, but this is a definite sort of development from that. And yeah, it's fantastic. Everyone should check it out. It's, um, I believe even Pitchfork reviewed it, whereas they never touched this kind of stuff. So must be getting some <laughs> some recognition. I believe. Yeah, I've seen quite a few ad- quite a few things advertising this actually. Yeah, I think it's um, like the kind of breakthrough almost. I think the last one was yeah. the one where people noticed them, but because this is the one after it, if you know what I mean, this is the one where they've had a bit yeah, more push. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, highly recommended. Really, really good. And that's the end of possibly my longest ever music review. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite <coughs> interested to hear it, actually, now. You've sold, <laughs> yeah. sold it there. Sounds like a cracker. Uh, right, yeah, that's quite... Can, just, can I just mention one thing as well? Yeah, uh, yeah sure. go for it. There's someone at work that we we call Soupy. They don't know it, though. Um, <laughs> I don't know what their actual name is, but they just once held up the microwave cube microwaving soup for ages. So that was how it started. <laughs> I do that every lunch, to be fair. Um, I have soup every lunch, so I'm always holding up the, the microwave cube. <laughs> so maybe maybe well, there's there people are. out there calling me Soupy, which would be my dream. But um, Yeah, you'd love that, yeah. Exactly. I'd love that. Yeah, I'll just say it out loud, peeps. Come on. <laughs> is there only is there only one microwave, Michael? There's two, but that is not sufficient for the demand. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, that, that's a really hard act to follow, Clive. Um, but I'm I'm going to give it a go. A rare music review from myself. Predictably, it's by a band who I've been following for years, and pretty much everybody does. It's the new Arctic Monkeys release, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Sheffield, massive. Uh, I know mate. Mike. <laughs> Sorry, just now, now I know that Michael's heard it. Have you heard it, Clive? Before I get into this, I've only heard like a bit of it that's been on in people's cars because like everyone in Sheffield is listening to this because we like to live up to the stereotype. Clearly, um, <laughs> there's also it's just advertised everywhere. I'm like, do you really need to advertise this in Sheffield? But yeah. Funny. So I've heard bits, and I kind of know a little bit about the sound. But I'm intrigued as to what you hear, what you, what you two mm. think about it, because I haven't really delved into it yet. So it is Arctic Monkeys' uh, sixth studio album. To describe it as a diversion from AM was an understatement. This is, I don't know how to describe this adequately, but it's a somewhat a mix between jazz, kind of psychedelic pop. And I think I think I've heard it described as lounge pop before as well. Uh, yeah. It's it has a Bowie esque quality in the sense that it's a real almost like sci fi concept album that seemed would seem straight out of home in the seventies. Um, it's a, I mean you've gone from kind of high quality stadium rock in AM to something that I think a lot of their fan base will hate, which is why it's been so polarizing. It seems to be mainly inspired by Alex Turner being given a. Um, a gu- not, ki- not a guitar, but he'd been given a a piano for his uh, birthday, I believe. I'm not sure if it was a member of the band who gave this to him or somebody else, uh, but he seems to have taken the lead on the way this album goes. Um, it's not really... It, this is an album which is absolutely not full of bangers, as you might describe typically some an Arctic Monkeys album. I mean, the, the main controversy before this came out was the track listings, um, <laughs> with some of the names that seem... Hilarious, but in the context of the album, make a lot of sense. So songs like "The World's First Ever Monster Truck, truck Front Flip," <laughs> um, "Bat Phone," um, "The Ultra Cheese," um, "American Sports," to name but a few. Um, I, I'm I'm very much in the camp which enjoyed this album a lot. Um, it's not one of those albums that absolutely just grabs you and you know just go you nodding your head. You're just completely immersed in it, but it's. It's an album that really, it's such a shock to the system that once you've let it digest with a second listen, it just really has a haunting quality to it, I think. Um, I think the only single-worthy track from from the entire thing is probably four out of five. Um, but I was, I was particularly a fan of the, the title track, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. 
I've listened to it four times now in total. It's not a long album, but it's not short either, coming in at 40 minutes and 51 seconds. But it's very much a continuous shark album, as that's the, that's the term I'm going to use for it. Because the Ugly Monkeys are not standing still here. They, um, they, ha- they could have easily just pulled out another AM, or maybe not as good, but an, an, an album of that concept. And it just, you know, it would have sold a lot of records, but it wouldn't have moved them forward as a band. And I think it's testament to the their staying power that they're able to change their sound like this. Because this doesn't sound like anything they've done before. And it, I don't think it really sounds like anything that anyone's doing at the minute. As I said, it, to me, it seems most at home, probably in the 1970s. But um, I loved it anyway. Um, I think I think you can see the, the 70s sci-fi inspiration from this. And... It, wow, yeah, it's it's different. It's different. What were your thoughts on that, Michael? Well, I, th- I think it's um, an incredibly brave choice of direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I've listened to it three or four times now because it's not really an album you keep going back to repeatedly um, in a in a short space of time. I mean, over over time, it'll be one I'm listening to a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I can barely remember a chorus across it, which is incredible, really, for an Arctic Monkeys album when you think about their previous albums. Personally, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I think it's great. Um, I think it has a very sleek, shiny sound that is reminiscent of, you know, the screens that we're surrounded by, the black mirrors, which is exactly what Turner seems to be trying to write about partly on this album. Um, I think all of all of his records, although although his lyrics have changed a lot since their earliest days, I think all of his records are social commentary, basically, and uh, that might not be quite as immediately apparent here, but it it, it, it still remains the case. And it, like you say, it's 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 um, you know, it's it's behind this wall of um, sort of sci-fi concept, you know, that, that he sort of he's using as as his chosen vessel to bring out that commentary on this particular album, and, you know, put, putting a hotel a hotel complex on on the moon, wherever it's intended to be, in order to do that is is obviously quite unusual, but he's al- he's always had that um, that sort of poetic image-based writing style. So it's not really that much of a surprise, whereas the sound is completely. Uh, what I'm really interested in is to see whether this changes the dynamic in the band at all, uh, and what sort of effect it has going forward. They've obviously, I mean, they've never really been a band to stand still, but this is the most dramatic departure they've had. I think they've de- they've definitely lengthened their staying power, like you alluded to, by having these reinventions at least of a of a sort. But this is this is their biggest one so far. What's interesting, I think, is they have to take these songs now on a sold-out arena tour in the UK. There's always <laughs> been this thing where fans of British guitar music consider it... A, I mean, the, this is a stereotype, but I'm, this is a stereotype of people out there who certainly exist. Um, they, don't, they don't want to see these sort of reinventions, and it's almost taken as a sort of betrayal if you're writing anything other than the guitar music that you sort of emerge with, like Arctic Monkeys did. I don't. I'm, like you said again, Alex. I, do, I would think that a lot of people going to that tour don't want to hear these songs. Um, I'm, they're certainly no, they, going they to. Yeah, they're certainly going to hear them. And I'm just, I'm just wondering what sort of reaction there'll be to that. Um, there's a public perception, whether correctly or not, that Turner drove this album completely. I don't think this is the case at all. But people are almost saying that he, you know, the the rest of the band have gone along with it reluctantly. We don't know that. We don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. And I, you, I think you could argue that Turner has probably always been that dominant on the band anyway. Uh, but it'll just be interesting to see whether anything goes wrong, anything sours once these songs are taken out on the road and people react to them in the ways that I think inevitably they're going to. 
but personally, I'm I'm with you. I'm in the camp that thought this was totally different, very but totally different album to their others, but um, but a very good one. I mean, musically, this is a very enjoyable experience, and and, and the whole angle of uh, of entertaining ourselves to death that Turner takes and uh, writes some of his mem most memorable lyrics ever about is uh, is a fascinating one. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the album. I think um, I think what amazes me is how you know just absolutely passionately people are against this uh, to some extent I, I had a big debate with somebody about this not long <laughs> yeah. ago um, although without naming names his his music taste was very much along the lines of Oasis early Arctic Monkeys Britpop you know that kind of almost you know there's nothing wrong with that music but you know almost simple guitar music as such um, yeah. And he he actually sold his ticket. He had he had a ticket for this tour, which he sold because he right, feared okay. that they were just going to play the full album. I mean, without wanting to compare them to Bob Dylan, but it's just the the obvious example. It's like when Dylan went electric. You know, you're going to turn off a whole host of fans, but perhaps make yourself more relevant in the long term. Um, yeah, like Dylan going electric is a is a trope that just repeats constantly in music. <laughs> it just does, isn't it? Any, I mean, any act it. that's around long enough with a big enough fan base, it's go that is going to happen at some point. I think Dylan is a good yeah. example because I know a lot of people who've seen him live and been disappointed because of the fact he uh, basically refuses to do any song live the same way twice, <laughs> uh, which I kind of admire. Right. But um, and a lot of people go and then are just disappointed because he's just constantly experimenting with. He'll use the same lyrics, but everything else will have been changed, um, and it's not the song yeah. that maybe people came to watch him play. But that's what he wants to play, and I think at the end of the day, people by now know that's what he's going to do. And if you don't like it, then you know don't go see it. But <laughs> uh. yeah, that's that. Well, this is the thing. Like, we're... go on. Sorry, Alex. Go on. Oh no no carry on Michael I'll 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 interrupt afterwards just give me a two seconds. <laughs> all right. Well, all I was going to say was I think what Clive's just mentioned there it just brings us back to the core of it. What does an artist actually owe their fans? And the answer is essentially nothing. Uh, obviously, some yeah. some some live acts are going to get away with experimenting more than others. It really depends on the context. But at the end of the day, artists are going to do what they want. Um, they don't owe anyone anything. If you don't want to continue following them, you don't have to. That is, it sounds harsh, but that is how it works. And um, you know, I'm, I'm usually obviously there'll be occasions where I'm disappointed by something an artist does, but generally I'm right behind that ethos. Mm. I think the main the main problem they're going to have is that they might pick up new fans with this work, but lose other fans. But I think at this point they're probably not too bothered. Um, generally speaking, that they're they've been around already longer than most bands. Except yeah. for you know supergroups, I my suspicion is what you were alluding to earlier, Michael. I think that this will possibly be the beginning of the end for them, but a, a great beginning of the end. I, I I would still, I mean, I would happily go and see this album performed live as much as I would love to. You know, hear old classics. Um, th this this would be perfectly fine for me. I mean, from what you've heard, Clive, what did you think of it? Um, I mean, from the little snippets I've heard, yeah, I pretty much agree with what you've been saying in that. I thought musically it was really, really a, a huge departure and really brave, uh, which I personally appreciated. Uh, but I think it was Michael that you said lyrically it's not um, that massively different, and I thought that as well. I was like listening to it and being like, yeah, I could see this fit into one of their old songs, uh, the lyrics, yeah. and it would still not sound weird. <laughs> but um, the the whole everything around it has been changed quite a lot, and I think that's kind of a cool way to. 
I think that's, you know, I think it would have been weird to just change everything up um, because you've always got that core thing that you're really good at, which for Turner is those that style of lyrics and him putting that into a different context, I think is really interesting. Um, so that's my initial impressions, but I do need to give it a listen. I think the thing is, once I knew that that's the type of album it was, I wanted to make it one that I sat down and listened to, not while on the bus or whatever, just at home and really took it in, if you know what I mean. So I just need to get the time yeah. to do that. But I, for one, I'm back. Yeah, I'm behind. You know, musicians taking a completely different because because I mean, it's not in their. It's completely not in their commercial interest, and uh, <laughs> so they're doing. They must be doing it from the heart, is the way I see it, um, and I appreciate mm. that yeah, because you wouldn't do it for any other reason, would you? Well, they certainly haven't done it for commercial reasons. Yeah, exactly. Did I, did I tell you about the graffiti I saw in Sheffield when we were leaving last time? Um, I, I saw. I think you must have seen it as well. Oh no, no, no! Sorry, I didn't see it last. Time. I saw it. No, I saw it uh, online. But I remember thinking that we must have gone right past it. And there's a bit of graffiti where it says he's not from San Francisco. He's from Hunter's Bar. And it's um, apparently it was meant as a criticism of Alex Turner, but he's <laughs> taking it quite well. <laughs> <laughs> we. I mean, we were in Hunter's Bar quite a lot when you came up. So. Mm. It's basically right near where we went to play pool. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there well, you go. That, that's where he's from, <laughs> apparently. This is the thing. I think cool. um, they have an interesting relationship with their fans because when they headlined Glastonbury last, uh, Turner received a lot of criticism for having a bit of an American twang to his accent. But, I mean, it doesn't work the same for everyone, but he has lived in America for five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that, you know, whether it was necessarily the pausing that people were suggesting it was. Uh, but I do think they have quite an unforgiving fan base, which is why I think this will be an interesting period for them. Well, I think p- people mm. are obsessed with um, like ugh, this kind of idea of being pure and <laughs> uh, yeah, authentic. And, yeah, authentic, and it's like I think you're quite right. Like when I, I was in New Zealand for three months, and I was starting to speak like a Kiwi. Um, yeah, it's just natural. <laughs> what, yeah, yeah, it's just it depends it what type to of everyone. But no, it, it depends what type of person you are. If you're the type of person who likes to kind of. Um, I, for one, I always felt weird speaking in an English accent when everyone else was speaking in this other accent. Uh, so I'd sort of yeah. adapt it to make it less pronounced <laughs> and thus <laughs> right, subconsciously yeah. became more Kiwi. But um, So maybe you just did that, I don't know. But pe- people are quick to criticise, aren't they? But, um, Very much, mm. yeah. Cool. OK, uh, so we're going to go back to the home of bird shit. <laughs> Clive, will you give us the noise again, please? <laughs> Michael, what else have you got for us? Thanks for that. Uh, the home of bird shit. I mean, <laughs> big claim. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other other albums that have uh, come out recently that I've been listening to, a couple of them I I know I mentioned on the last podcast that I would be talking about. Uh, the first of which is Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet. Uh, similar to what we've just been talking about with Arctic Monkeys, her first two albums were very much um, sci-fi rooted. They had a concept. And they basically explored uh, issues of, uh, of identity, whether it was uh, sexual orientation, gender, race, especially those three, through the prism of um, robot rights, essentially, which is an increasingly uh, real-life topic now, I guess. Mm-hmm. This sort of confronts the same themes, but much more overtly. She said herself that she shed quite a lot of that, and I think that is appropriate for the political context over in, in America. This is a similarly colourful um, sort of R&B songwriting. Uh, I think it's a bit lighter and airier than the previous albums. Uh, the album's also quite a lot shorter. The previous two albums, were, uh, which I loved, by the way, 
were uh, epics. Uh, and I do mean that in a good way, because obviously epic can be shit as well, in the wrong hands. Uh, so this this feels a bit more a, li a little bit more pared down, even though it is just as vibrant in terms of the song styles. Having said all that, I think it's really enjoyable. Uh, it's had plenty of repeat listens from me. I think it's another good album. I don't think it quite measures up to the first two, but it's it's uh, very worthy nonetheless. The singles have really powered it. Django Jane, which is a pure hip hop track, as pure a hip hop track as um, Janelle's had in her in her catalogue. Really, that's a big favourite of mine. Uh, Pink. Featuring Grimes is a, is another good one. I like that, especially for the lyrics. is uh, is one of is one of my favourites. Um, a real, you know, a song about a real sense of um, of self worth, of not following crowds. Um, I thought it was a really powerful song and a catchy single to boot. Uh, but the most inspired, the most inspiring track um, on the record, even though it's it's I mean, it's pure stadium pop, but the closing track of Americans really ends on a, a truly thought provoking note. Again, it's all about the uh, the political context in which it's being released. Uh, so this this is another good album, and obviously I, d I didn't know if Janelle would be returning to uh, to music, given that she branched out into acting in the last couple of years. Um, but she'd come back to music and uh, hit it off with another great album. So as I say, I don't I don't feel it's um, you know it's quite on the level of the last two albums, but it's not that far off. Um, and as I say, it's another good addition to to her discography. Then another album that I mentioned I would be talking, I would certainly be checking out and therefore talking about was uh, Boarding House Reach, the new Jack White album. Uh, now this has been a controversial one. Uh, we talked about Arctic Monkeys' album being polarizing. This has probably been just as polarizing. Uh, it's not an overall huge change of sound, but it is quite experimental. A lot of very strange pieces on this album. I mean, a track like uh, "Get in the Mind Shaft," which is basically um, a sort of vocoder vocaled funk piece that would, wouldn't have shown up on any White Stripes albums or any previous Jack White albums uh, but it's it's, it's in, on, in the context of this album it sounds um, it doesn't sound so out of place and is probably one of my favourites on there uh, but very different to previous uh, material from White uh, the track Ice Station Zebra has been getting a lot of attention because it seems to be an attempt by, by White to rap I mean you wouldn't really necessarily compare it to what we usually understand as rap, but the, the the comparison is still there to be drawn. So that's another quite zany track on the album. Uh, I have to say, overall, I'm a big fan of the album. I think it was a more interesting direction than um, than probably his previous album, Lazaretto, was. It was it was more of the same in a good in a good way. But I think this is a more interesting direction, um, and makes me more interested to see where he might go next whenever he next releases an album. Uh, the track over and over and over, you can tell, is um, a leftover from the White Stripes era. Uh, it's got a very uh, catchy riff to it, which is the, the exactly what we would have expected from that sort of era of songwriting from White. Uh, but th as I say, this by far is uh, its craziest material, that I, I would say. It goes off in all sorts of directions. They don't always necessarily work. I think beforehand he said himself that he was... He was intrigued as much as anyone was by the direction that his songwriting seemed to be going in. Um, but I, I, th I think it pays off as an overall album, even though I admit it is strange and I can see why it has turned people off. Um, but I've, I've still enjoyed it as much as any, any albums that I've listened to recently. Uh, the only album that I've listened to uh, enjoyed more than that uh, of this year's releases is the last one that I'm going to mention. Uh, I think you've heard this one, Clive, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Twin Fantasy by Car Seat Headrest. I'm actually going to yeah talk about this a little bit in a bit. Yeah, so awesome. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, so I was a huge fan of their. Um, I mean, they're, they're the brainchild of uh, Will Toledo. He's the uh, he's the front man, the uh, the songwriter of Car Seat Headrest. Uh, he released a lot of albums online prior to being um, to being signed up. Then released his first album of proper, properly new material, Teens of Denial, in 2016. That was one of my favourite albums of that year. Um, purely aerodynamic, anthemic, power pop. Um, brilliant lyric, lyrics, I thought. Just I mean, quite witty, um, always interesting. Just very enjoyable songwriting. Uh, this album is a re-recording of an album that he released in 2011. I hadn't heard it, so I'm purely basing it on this um, this re-recorded version. It is a bit different structurally. Um, I mean, it, it opens it with a couple of short tracks which sandwich a 13-minute track, uh, Beach Life in Death, which is uh, I mean, a, an insistent, driving um, epic of a track, a multi-part suite, basically. Mm, amazing. And, um, yeah, and... Um, then it sort of moves into some similar territory with sort of the same sort of song lengths and anthemic stylings of the previous album. Uh, Nervous Young Inhumans and Bodies are two of my f- standouts. Uh, then towards the end again, it sort of moves into these multi-part, uh, more meandering pieces that are always uh, interesting, always engaging. Then the final track, which is uh, basically the title track. What I, f- what, I, what I found interesting was I assumed that much of the lyrical content, which is often about... Um, you know, teenage life and all the doubts and insecurities that come with that. Um, I assumed it was purely autobiographical, but I like the fact that at the very end of the album, Toledo seems to pull the carpet away narratively. He sort of, the the ending lyrics sort of they sort of speak to you directly and say that you know this album is it actually about me or could it be about you? You could basically make whatever you want, whatever you like of it, take it in whatever direction you want mm-hmm. to in your own head when you're listening. I thought that was a really interesting twist at the end. Uh, that I liked. Don't hear that sort of thing very often, and sort of recontextualizes the album in a way. Uh, but in terms of the writing, um, the songwriting, it's you know there's not a lot of um, guitar music happening at the moment. Obviously, we talked about Arctic Monkeys going in a totally different direction. Uh, some people have pronounced the death of guitar music a bit prematurely. I would say it's certainly going to come back around at some point in a big way. Uh, but in the meantime, there are acts out there still doing uh, interesting things. There's nothing revolutionary about the guitar music on this album. You know, it is sort of emo-styled indie pop, power pop. Uh, but it's just done so brilliantly and so expansively, I think, that um, you know, it's it's got to a point only two albums in where I think Car Seat Headrest. I can't imagine a Car Seat Headrest album that I wouldn't be excited for now. That they, they really have a, a skill. Talia really has a skill to his work as well. You know, it's big stuff, uh, and I think this is an early contender for my album of the year. I think it'll be right up there at the end of the year. Uh, so yeah, uh, two two proper albums, if you like, since being signed up, and uh, for me, they're both excellent. Yeah, I basically agree with them. Um, this is, at the minute, probably my number one, along with the uh, Wonder Years. Probably a bit ahead of it right. um, for, for the year so far. I absolutely love this album. And I really like um, his kind of, like how you said he started off releasing loads of albums online. Um, apparently he, like... He's, the name Car Seat Headrest came because he used to record his vocals uh, on the Car Seat Headrest in his car for privacy, I'm assuming, because he lived in a, a house share or something, I don't know. But uh, right. he didn't want anyone else to hear him singing. Um, and he released, like, I think he just called them, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever, the first few albums yeah, on Bandcamp, so, yeah. and it gradually got more and more, gradually kind of found his sound more and more, and I think it's really interesting, someone who, I think he 
has, has said in an interview that he like his goal was to release as much music as pos- as quickly as possible. Um, and I thought that was quite interesting. A little bit like Guided by Voices, um, one of my favourite bands who just release a shit ton of stuff. And some of it does miss the mark, but eventually... I don't know, I think through doing that, he's found his sound. And I think if he hadn't done that, he might never have found it. Um, it's just, he just relentlessly kept making new stuff and gradually found, okay, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I think it'd be interesting yeah, to listen through those. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah, because you, you don't always just come out fully formed, obviously. No, and I think there's a bit of a thing of like, oh, there's this mystique behind being a musician uh, where everyone thinks that everything you make is gold, um, <laughs> when that when that is definitely not the case, even with the very best artists. Um, you yeah. know, the very best artists are lucky enough to have people to tell them constantly, oh, well, this isn't good. You know, as a mm. startup, you don't have that. You've got your own opinion, and if you like it, it goes up. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's kind of it, he. It seems to be he's kind of ripping away that mystique a little bit, and just being like, right, this is this is where I came from. I think those albums are still there if you want to listen to them, um, and you can just listen to him right from the start as to where he's got to now. And I think that's kind of cool. But it's a more yeah, he's like a, a very transparent artist. It seems. Um, mm-hmm. So that's cool. And yeah. yeah, I think the, like I say, it's really expansive album. He, the, I mean, you know, there's no indie rock albums with 13 minute tracks that I can think of. And um, yeah. it, it could easily be split up. Like they, it gels together really, really well, but it could have been split into like four songs. Cause when I listened to it, I was like, is this still the same song? <laughs> uh, but it's just, yeah, there's a lot of ideas. In yeah, there. there is, but it's brilliant. Every one of them is brilliant and they fit together so well. It's really, really, it's probably going to be my favorite song of the year. I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And there's just constantly oh, yeah. those kind of th- songs in there where you got yeah he doesn't rewrite the you know rule book completely but he's just got so much kind of raw passion in it and like the he's really good at writing those kind of powerful choruses and i love um is it nervous in humans or something it's called it's got this really nervous in humans yeah. yeah it's got this really kind of driving instrumental bit which it starts with and keeps going back to and um, which i just absolutely love just makes you want to kind of dance around which again isn't something maybe that indie pop would normally do yeah so yeah, yeah i just think he's a really unique artist and i'm excited to give the other teens of denial are listen now because I think I like it. Oh, I've not heard teens of denial. I've only listened to bits, so I need to listen to it properly now. It's really good. Yeah, and like I say, it's a bit more straightforward than this, I think, but it's got some massive anthemic tracks on it. Awesome. And and they just keep piling up, and I was like, can this continue? And it does. But, yeah, it's good. <laughs> great. Right, fantastic. Um, Clive, so have you, is that your review done, Clive? Did you just go into it straight away? Uh, well, I, I, I was, it, that was going to be part of my roundup, but uh, Michael's done a, a much better job. So, like I said, I did, I did really like it. Um, it's my favourite of the year so far, and I've pro- pretty much added the thoughts that I haven't mentioned <laughs> to it. I did have a, cu- I've just got a couple more that I had in my roundup, which is, um, go ahead, go ahead, AAI or Against All Logic, um, released now called 2012 to 2017, or whether that means it's a bunch of songs he wrote between those two years, I don't know, um, which is an album by the Chilean composer and recording artist more uh, famously known as Nicholas Jar. Um, it's a kind of a departure from his normal stuff. I believe he's released something else under this moniker before, and it's kind of more accessible, dancey stuff than his usual. I'm, um, I've only listened to one of his albums, it's got a trolley on the front, and I've bloody forgot the name of it but um it's it's really good and it's really kind of there's there's the odd track in there which is accessible but um in overall it's kind of almost like very soundscapey stuff and um he's very kind of focusing on the detail of certain sounds and he's, i think he seems to record 
strange sounds very close with you know really closely mic'd and you can really pick out the detail and things that some things that are quite mundane but they get really interesting and that's what I got from that album anyway so I really like that but this is very different this is danceable and relaxing it's kind of constantly interesting it takes you away you never really know what the next track's going to bring and those are those are kind of five things that i often say about albums but i don't know if i've ever said it all five things about one album before um and this is definitely one way you could say all five of those things about it it's just a, a really really enjoyable uh, enjoyable record and it's just made me want to listen to nicholas jar's other stuff which i know is very different but it's yeah this is really really good it's one of those albums that you can absolutely have on in the background and it does the job brilliantly uh, but also when you listen to it as an attentive listen it has so much going on and it's just so interesting that you it's also got it's also good for that if you know what i mean so yeah big fan of this i think people should check it out i don't know how much uh, kind of buzz it's got going i know a lot of review sites have liked it and it is really good and very like i say very danceable the second one and the last one i'm going to talk about is an album called Time and Space by a band called Turnstile, who are a hardcore punk band from New York. Um, usually I'd associate hardcore punk as being quite inaccessible. I'd say this is pretty accessible. It's a 25-minute sort of retro hardcore bludgeoning. Um, <laughs> they, they, they're kind of getting a lot of flack for being a bit derivative, I've seen, but um, I honestly haven't heard anything kind of rock this hard and powerfully for a long time. And I love how the songs like never outlast their welcome. Like I say, it's only a 25-minute album. There's quite a lot of songs on there. Quite a lot of the songs are only about two minutes long. But it's just one of those really accessible, short, bite-sized albums that you can just put on and get really into and, uh, you know, and then turn back off again. And it's sort of reminiscent, I suppose, of, you know, stuff, the sort of 90s hardcore stuff like i suppose limp biscuit and that kind of stuff but a lot better <laughs> in my opinion uh, but it certainly has you know um some nostalgia for those kind of things in in its guitar riffs and things and it's it's got this really sort of fat guitar sound which is definitely from back then but yeah re- really really good and i think people should check it out and my song picks for that one a high pressure generator can't get away in right to be i think they're all real cracking good fun so yeah there's two other albums i've been enjoying cool um Michael, did you have anything else you wanted to add today? Uh, no, I mean, I've, there's another album that I won't mention that um, I've been loving. That I think it's going to be one of my, my summer albums this year. Um, but no, as far as I'm aware, Cable is a fan of it as well, so I'm going to save it. Hopefully Cable will be here. We can talk about it next time. Cool. Sounds good. Excellent. Right, okay, we're just coming up on the hour mark. Good timing, boys. Um, I feel like roll, at know. this point... Yeah, I feel at this point like we should be making a well-worn shit joke, um, but I'm struggling. Um, well, any, any have you got any shit crack, Michael? You'd like to add? Any? T- I'm, I'm similarly struggling. Any time-related crack? This bit. Um, <laughs> any time-related crack? I guess it's plug time. Oh, he went there. Yeah, just went for it. Uh, get in contact with the show. <laughs> Stick around podcast at gmail.com. Stick around podcast.com slash contact. There's a form there you can fill in if you don't like emailing because emailing is pants and makes you feel like we're at work. Stick around podcast.com for articles. There's more and more going up. I've nearly finished my watching all the Ghibli films and ranking them because I love ranking stuff. So check that out. There's one coming up from Al, I believe, which uh, I'm not going to reveal any details of, but it's going to be a cracker. So prepare yourself Should for that. Should be by next hopefully next weekend Ooh, okay prepare yourselves so i'm excited to see that and um there's now a handy little uh, articles index page where you can 
get to all the different ones a little bit more easily rather than scrolling through all everything we've written so far. Um, you can find us on slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook. Give us a like on there. Stick Around Podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow, is it, on that? I don't know. Um, you can find us on Just Giving, justgiving.com slash fundraising slash stick around. You can give some money to shelter in our name. That'll be much appreciated. And you can go to iTunes or whatever. Give us five star reviews. Five star or one star. You know, we want to be polarizing. Yeah. Um, I yeah. do- shit, shit, shit or get off the pot. Nothing in between. <laughs> Ideally, yeah, five star, but you know, we'll respect your one star opinions and we won't send anything in the post. Like a pill. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that basically covers the plug time for today. So thanks for listening. Right. Uh, I believe we'll be back with films again next time. Does that sound about right? Sounds right, Al, yeah. Um, I believe Are you, you gearing up for a live performance here? I was just trying to, you know, play you out as you did the outro. <laughs> but, then you, <laughs> but then you asked me a question and I couldn't answer it and play at the same time, so... Uh, <laughs> sorry but yes I think it film should be f- yeah I think it will be films next won't it so we can talk about that solo thing Ooh, that some people have been talking about controversy yeah maybe we should get cable maybe. on for that that'd be funny um, maybe yes. the uh, the pants shitting fest that is hereditary as well or looks to be Ooh, hereditary yes that looks amazing what's that the thing is though that can I can only it's a horror film that's oh. coming out which has had like rave reviews, I mean like proper rave reviews like Unreal Best Horror like Best Horror since The Exorcist kind of reviews. Oh right, okay. Um, I think I've seen a poster for it. So, yeah. Um I I think I'm gonna take a colostomy bag with me. I, actually I don't think you can just <laughs> plug in a colostomy bag, can you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Right, okay, well uh this has been music. Uh, you can hear the delightful Clive Fisher playing us out, and Michael would like to say goodbye as well. Goodbye. I was I thank I was you very much sing- for listening. I was tempted to sing it there, but no one <laughs> needs that. <laughs> Please remember to stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Always has to be one. Stick <laughs> around till next time. Or die! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>